This morning, I want to bring you a message. The title of it is, Can You Handle the Truth? Can you handle the truth? Uh, The reason I've given it this title is because the thoughts that we're going to consider this morning are probably some of the most difficult thoughts you'll ever deal with in your life. The reason is because the truth is offensive. That's why Paul said, have I become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. So I think this is an appropriate title for the message. We're actually studying John's Gospel, chapter 4. But what I want to do is spend enough time on this chapter for you to realize for all of us to realize together how difficult it is to acknowledge what the truth actually is. Uh, This woman had a certain level of understanding about that question, but it was a long ways away from being deep enough. And when it's a long ways away from being deep enough, you're lost. You don't even have a basis for understanding the need for salvation. And how much of a crisis this whole human condition is. It's horrible, I'm telling you. I think I would be an utter failure as a Bible teacher if I turned away from that kind of message. It's very negative. It's very negative. And and I actually influenced people into a, a more shallow way of thinking about the overall message of the Bible. I think that would be treasonous, as a matter of fact, against the God of heaven to even do that. Because a person cannot get saved until they understand the reasons they need saving. And so that brings us back to the title, can, can we handle the truth? Do we really even know what the truth is? We might think we do, Well, this woman at the well, she had a certain knowledge of her lifestyle and so forth, but it was not deep enough. For instance, she knew that she didn't have a husband. She knew that. So that was a certain level of her understanding about herself. But it was not deep enough, so the Lord took it deeper. And here's how he did it. He said, you've rightly said so. I have no husband. Because he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. Well, what did that do? It plunged her into the depths of who she was as a person. She was a whore. But she didn't walk around every day getting up, thinking that about herself. She sure did not. And we don't either. 
there's a certain level uh, of life that we can live actually rather comfortably even in the face of the truth. And the way you do that, the way you live, live rather comfortably, comfortably without really being disturbed about it that much, in so much that you would actually change, that is, be converted, uh, it's just simply by refusing to allow the Lord to get as close as he wants to be. He wants to get close. As a matter of fact, he wants to be with you and in you. That's close. This woman was not interested in truth getting that close. The truth about what she was. So I want to help us sort of enter into this in a way that we're compelled to believe the seriousness of this problem. Can we handle the truth? Can we handle the truth? I'd like for you to turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Because the whole chapter here is about a conversation that the Lord is having with the disciples. Now these were people that were close to him. And they were saved people except for one, and that was Judas. And the disciples came to him in chapter 11 and verse 1 and said, Teach us to pray, as John also ta taught his disciples. And so we then have the disciples' prayer. The Lord taught them how to pray. So this is the disciples' prayer in contrast to the Lord's prayer of John chapter 17. There's a difference. But the disciples are learning how to pray. And he said, Pray our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven so in earth. Well, this begins to be somewhat of a challenge because the truth is there's no man by nature that wants that to happen. And the reason is because we have a free will that has nothing to do with God's will, absolutely nothing to do with God's will. And another thing that we do not understand is that those two wills has in between a hostility that is unto death. That's right, unto death. Have you ever imagined somebody getting into your house some night when you're in there alone? And the person that has gotten into your house is a cold-blooded killer. And he has come in there to do that very thing, to kill you, to kill you. Can you imagine the experience? And I have to use my imagination because I've never been in this situation. There's a lot of people who have. 
But can you imagine being in a situation where somebody is trying to kill you and you are desperately using every resource available to you to keep that from happening? And so it ends up being a scenario where it's life for life. Life for life. Can you imagine that? What I have just described to you is the message of the whole Bible. Do we really realize that we are invaders when it comes to the kingdom of heaven? We're actually the enemies. That's what's described in uh, Romans chapter 5. We're enemies of God. How much tension is there in that relationship between man and God over free will? I'll tell you how much tension there is. It's unto death. That's what it is. Do we really understand why Jesus Christ came into the world? Do, do, does the world really understand why he came? Well, I'm going to tell you the answer. Because the Bible tells us, and that's where I learned this. Jesus Christ came into the world to prove that we hated him with an intensity that we would beat him until his visage was so marred more than that of any man. We would torture him. We would spit on him. We would despise him. We would want him dead. And the Lord knew that the world didn't believe it. That if goodness and innocence came into the world, that he would receive that kind of treatment. The world didn't believe it. The whole reason that Jesus Christ came into the world was to prove that that's exactly the relationship between God and man. A failure to understand that is a failure to understand the seriousness of the Bible. And so in this chapter, the Lord is laying before us the truth, the truth. And so we're not going to go down into <clears throat> all that's said here. You have to read it on your own, and I would encourage you to please do that at some point, to grasp the whole meaning of force of what's going on here. But um, he comes down to verse 11. And remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the disciples. And he said, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? 
Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Now think about what the Lord is doing here. He's putting between him and the disciples an understanding of the difference between God and man. And he's describing here the contrast between a good father and an evil father. That's what he's doing. So he's putting together a picture in our minds of good and evil. That's what he's doing. If you don't see that, you're not understanding the passage. But verse 13 is said to the disciples, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask him? Now, the reason I read this is because of the connection between this and John's Gospel, chapter 4. You remember when the Lord went to the well, and he said to the woman, if you knew it was that's talking to you, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. Well, she didn't know who she was talking to. Well, what is it that he wanted to give her? I'll tell you what it was ultimately he wanted to give her. It was this right here that we see in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. He wanted to give her the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Why did he want to do that? Because if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. In other words, you're on your way to hell. There's no other way to understand it. There is no other way. But I want you to think about this good father. If thou knewest the gift of God, the gift of God, what is the gift of God? Well, it's what we need to go to heaven. It's his nature, his character, even his personality, the characteristics of his personality, as a free gift. This makes us holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. And there's no other way to get it. It has to be the gift of God. But the problem is, we do not believe what the Lord said to these disciples. Well, what did he say? Well, if somebody told you the truth, could you handle it? Well, what did he say to the disciples? He said, you are evil. That's what he said. If ye then being evil. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do we, I ask ourselves the question, do we really believe that we are evil? Do you believe that about yourself? 
that you are an evil person. Have you ever said that to yourself? I am an evil person. Have you ever done that? You ought, to, you ought to have done that. Anybody that comes to this church and hears what's taught from this book ought to be able to say that. Ought to be able to say, Mr. Creech, I, I have said that to myself many times. I am an evil person. Do we really believe that? I mean, if we go out as witnesses to the world, being the light of the world, and our responsibility is to go out as witnesses to the world, and we go out with that message, and our ultimate goal is present a message to them, which is really a gospel message, but you can't get to the good part, which is the gospel, until you believe the bad part. What is the bad part? The bad part is we got a problem. We're born into this world loving ourselves, our thoughts and our way more than anything else in the world. And anybody that gets in the way of it is an enemy. An enemy. And it starts with little children. At the very earliest levels. Self-centeredness, the crying of a little baby. I am hungry. And it continues on into adulthood. Self-centeredness, loving ourselves, loving our way, and loving what we want. And how serious is it? It's as serious as life and death, according to the message of the Bible. And the Lord comes into the world to tell us the truth. This is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. What kind of light? Well, the truth. That light. But when he comes with that truth and tells us what it is, <clears throat> uh, you find out it's not an easy sell because people don't believe it. People do not believe they're evil. That's the message of the Bible. And it's all over it from cover to cover that we are evil. The Lord told the rich ruler, there's none good but one, and that is God. Well, if there's none good but one, and that is God, then what does that make everybody else? Well, the Lord is giving his own disciples his perspective right here. If ye then, being evil, 
know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask him? But who's going to ask him for the Holy Ghost? Who's going to do that? What does that mean to ask for the Holy Ghost? I'll tell you what it means. It means a radical con con uh, conversion away from everything that we are in totality, every thought that we have, every way that we have, that we're willing to die to everything that we are, that we can have the Holy Ghost because you can't mix it up. You can't mix up what we are in our nature with who he is in his. You cannot mix it up. The only message, the only hope for anybody is to die to self. It's a message of death. That's exactly what it is. I'm, I'm trying, the reason I began this message this way, can you just imagine what it would be like? To be in a fight with somebody, and it's life or life, only one is going to come out alive. How, how much are you going to fight to stay alive? Well, there have been situations in war where soldiers have had to tangle with an enemy. And only one was going to walk away. It was unto death. That's the picture of this book. Only one is going to walk away. In Luke chapter 14, if you'll turn over to that, um, The Lord describes some things here in this chapter that I think take us into this kind of thinking, which is not comfortable. This is not a comfortable message. Uh, but in verse 25, he says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, Great multitudes. He just as well been talking to the whole world. He said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross. What does that mean? Well, that's the place you're going to die. That's what it means, is a cross. That's all a cross is. You don't get up there for a little while to get a little sunshine. You get up there to die. That's the only thing a cross can mean to anybody. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. In other words, you're going to lose your soul forever. You're going to hell. That's the message of the Bible. How many people in the world believe this? 
I'll tell you what, when you get honest about what the Bible is actually saying, you can understand why few there be that find it. Very, very few. I talked about it a little bit last Sunday. How many people possibly, conceivably, died in the flood? And the Lord said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man returneth. The condition today in God's mind is identical to the way it was then. There were only eight souls in that boat. Out of possibly 10 trillion people that died, there were only eight people alive. Why? I'll tell you this, I'll tell you, Enoch was a preacher, Methuselah, his son, was a preacher, Noah was a preacher, and preached for 120 years. But the world couldn't handle the truth, couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle how serious it is. <laughs> Folks, if we're not careful, we'll have relationships with people in our conversation with them where we never dig deep enough in conveying the message of heaven that they ever become uncomfortable. I mean, the Lord could have said to the woman, oh, you don't have a husband? Okay. Left it right there. It was a second part that went deeper. Went to the very bottom. He whom thou now hast is not thy husband. Whoa. What thinking person could not understand what she actually was? How could she not really have on her plate at that moment what kind of person she actually was? I'll tell you what kind she was. Evil. Evil. I think that it's very spiritually therapeutic to get up every day, look at yourself in the mirror, and say, I am an evil person. And you would not be wrong. If you looked in the mirror and you said that, I am an evil person. Because you have to say that in order for the God of heaven to be able to give you the Holy Spirit. You have to. Because there's no person that's going to die to everything that they are 
without a reason. And the Lord came into the world to teach us the reasons. And he didn't mince words about it. He told his disciples right up front, right out of the gate, ye are evil. Can we handle it that we are evil? Well, he said that the saved disciples. The reason he said it to save disciples is because of what is abundantly clear in the teaching of Scripture. And this was a problem that I had for several years getting a handle on what I'm telling you right now. I could not understand how I could profess to be a Christian, which is to claim to be converted, and still be evil. But I am. And so are you. So is everybody in this world. Even if they're saved, they're evil. And the reality of the evil is something that you have to die to every day. Well, why would you have to die to it every day if you were not still evil? Folks, let me tell you something. No one will ever die daily without understanding the reason why they should. You see, God leaves the old nature in us after we are converted. He leaves us in something that cannot be converted. It's impossible to convert the old nature. The only solution is dying to it. That's it. Death. There is no reforming it. There is no turning over a new leaf or cultivating. There is no reforming of the old nature. It cannot be done. Everything that the old nature is is self-centered to the core, unto death, unto death. And so the Lord comes into this world and here is evil and here is goodness. And there's a war unto death. Look at Luke chapter 14 again. And let's look down at verse 31. Or what king going to make war against another king sits not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. What does that, what does that mean? Well, the Lord is setting the stage here between two kings. They're making war. Well, what's war all about? Well, it's about killing. And each is going to kill the other. But the Lord is 
having us understand when we look at the situation and we realize who it is we're going up against, we realize that we're not going to win if we go against this king. You're not going to win. That's the message of the Bible. How can a man win against God? But when you really realize who you're fighting against, when you fight against God, it's a good thing to sit down and think about it and send an ambassage seeking conditions of peace. I don't want to die. I'm sure not going to die if I go against him. That's what the Lord is putting before us here. Just who do we think we are to go against the God of heaven, the King of kings and Lord of lords? Who do we think we are? That somehow or other we're going to engage in that warfare and win and we're going to kill him? Well, listen, the whole reason for the death of Jesus Christ on the cross was to prove one thing that evil men wanted God dead that's the whole message of the Bible but how many people understand that when Christmas time rolls around and we gather around the little manger with a little innocent baby in there who's that little baby gonna threaten absolutely nobody and that's how people want it preached a little baby not going to hurt anybody. He's such a sweet thing. Jesus Christ is just such a sweet thing. He's a savior. He's a good person. Well, that baby grew up and went out doing good. That's what the book of Acts says. He went about doing good. And supposedly good people got together. Man at his best state. I'm talking about the Pharisees. These were good people. The rich ruler was like the Pharisees. The disciples were amazed that the Lord would speak to him the way he did and say, one thing thou lackest. One thing thou lackest. The disciples say, well, who in the world then can be saved? And the Lord said, well, with men it's impossible. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. With men it's impossible. So how then is it possible? Well, there's none that seek after God, and this woman at the well was certainly not seeking after God. And so the message of the passage is he must needs go through Samaria. Why did it say that? Because if God, out of his love, which is incomparable, had he not taken the initiative to go down there where that woman was, she'd have stayed in the condition that she was in, which was evil evil never really allowing her mind to contemplate and acknowledge that she was evil she was a whore she didn't love anybody 
but herself. And the man that was living with her, he didn't love her either. Both were in the relationship for what each could get out of it. And love had nothing to do with the relationship whatsoever. The Lord had to go down there to Samaria to help this woman acknowledge something that she had never thought about before in her life. And that is that she was evil. And so the purpose of this lesson this morning is to ask ourselves the same question. Have we ever in our life come to a point of being able to say, before God, I am an evil person. And I believe it with all my soul that I'm evil. I believe that what you said about me, and it's you that said it, Lord, out of the mind of man proceed evil thoughts. You ever had those? Adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, and on and on it goes. Do we really believe that? Well, if it's not true, then did the Lord really come into the world to save people that are already saved? I don't think so. It's not in the message of the Bible. How can you squeeze that out of it? He came into the world to save sinners, people that were lost, people that were wicked, people that hated him, evil people, evil. If there's only one good, and that is God, then everybody else is evil, and that's what we are. Let me tell you something, folks. Every day of our life, we need to get up. And we need to ask the Lord to help us remember the reasons for humility. And apart from a message like we find here with the woman at the well, what's the likelihood of ever having reasons for humility? Well, what is humility? Well, humility is an attitude of deserving nothing good. Nothing. Chubb Sewell, the lawyer from Carthage, used to say pretty regularly, he that expecteth nothing shall not be disappointed. He used to say that in just about every message he would ever preach. He'd go around preaching all over the place, and a lot of times I'd go with him. And he called it the old Persian proverb. Persian proverb, Chub Sewell. <laughs> he that expecteth nothing shall not be disappointed. Folks, the world expects God to come into the world and to just give us the gift of eternal life because we deserve it. 
because we're good enough to deserve to spend eternity with him. A holy God. Because we're, I mean, maybe not holy, but 98% maybe. In some people's minds, 85. A good God would not cast an 85% good person into hell, would he? That is exactly the way the world thinks. I'll tell you how God thinks. He thinks if you sin in one point, you're guilty of all. What does that mean? The death of the Son of God. That's what it means. You got the blood of the Son of God on your hands. And so the Lord ends this uh, passage down here in verse 33. <clears throat> Luke chapter 14 and verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now think about it. What is that? Turning away from everything that you have. Wanting to be saved that bad to turn away from every thought you've ever had that's self-centered. Every want that you've ever had. So that you could follow Christ. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Well, what did this woman do in Luke chapter 4? I mean, excuse me, John chapter 4. She left her water pot. She left her water pot. That was a symbol, really, of everything. In Matthew 4.20... The disciples left their nets and followed him. What was that? It was their vocation. They were fishermen. The Lord said to them, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you fishers of men. They left everything. And here in Luke 14 and verse 33, the Lord said, if you do not forsake all that you have, you're going to lose this war against me because up to this point, that's all you've done is fight me so that self could stay alive. And the truth is, you wanted me dead. You didn't care if 
I went back off into heaven and died in heaven. You wouldn't care. As long as you could have your way in accordance with your thoughts rather than mine. And so he knew that if he went back up into heaven, people would not believe that the relationship between God and man was that bad, so he had to prove it. And that's why when the soldiers came to get him, he completely surrendered to them. He told Peter to put up his sword. He said, I could call legions of angels if I wanted to be spared from what they intend to do. I know what they intend to do, but the world doesn't believe it. And so I'm going to let it happen on a hill in broad open daylight with hundreds of thousands of people to witness it. I'm going to change the calendar in such a way that when 2024 rolls around, they'll still be remembering it. That this is how serious the situation is in this book. Man by nature hates God. And it's a war unto death. And the question is, which one is going to die? That's why there are few that find it, folks. That's the truth. How many people do you think ever listen to this Sunday school message and believe it? How many relatives could you send something like this to? And you think within yourself, well, good will come out of this because they'll believe this. Listen, when Jesus Christ was here preaching the message, they didn't believe it. You see, when, when you go out here and you tell somebody the truth, it'll be rejected. He told the truth. The disciples told the truth. They all died as martyrs. Why? Why would good people kill the disciples? Why would good people kill the Lord of glory? The woman at the well, it was the greatest day in her life. The day that she would finally be able to say, I'm evil, and I know it. But he said that he would give me as a free gift water that would spring up into everlasting life, and he would give it to me. And I didn't know who he was. The Lord acknowledged that to her. If you knew who it was that was speaking to you, you would ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. She didn't know who she was talking to. He goes on to say, you worship, you know not what. 
We know what we worship. That's what he told her. And then finally he said to her, they that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. The message from heaven is going to penetrate deep within the innermost self. Spirit. The spirit of a person. The thought life of a person. And you're going to have to get honest. You must worship me in spirit and in truth. In other words, honestly. You have to be honest. And here's what I want. I want you to honestly say to me, I am evil. I am an evil person. I am an evil person. Anybody that cannot say that, in my view, from Scripture, because this is now my view because of Scripture. It's not my view. It's based on Scripture. But because the Scripture says it, I am able to say that. I am an evil person. I sure am. And every day of my life, I am one thought away from disaster. And that's the truth. There has to be a reason for praying without ceasing. There has to be a reason to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. There has to be a reason. There has to be a reason that the Lord would say, I'm going to leave here, but I'm going to send a comforter, and he is going to be with you and in you. Well, why is that? You mean the threat of my old nature is so bad that he has to stay that close? He has to give me the enablement every moment of my life to die to what I am. Otherwise, I will never learn with what time that he gives me, I will never learn what so great a death was that he delivered me from. And the so great salvation that he meant when he said, I'll give you the kingdom. The meek shall inherit the earth. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? This is what this good God wants to do. Give us everything. Everything. He loves us so much that he gave up everything, everything that he had, even his life. He gave up the glories of the kingdom. He gave it up, came down here, became poorer that we through his poverty might be rich. 
and then died in our place on Calvary's cross. Folks, that's the greatest love story was ever told. There's none like him. There's none like God. And this woman, after she realized who she was talking to because God revealed himself to her and said, I that speak unto thee am he. He revealed to her that he was God. And right then she left her water pot, went into town, and she became a witness. And she went to the very people that she lived a corrupt life with, an evil life. And those men listened to what she said and had some measure of doubt about it. And so they went to find him on their own. And they found him. And their testimony was, we now understand why you said what you said. That he told you all that ever you did. That he knew you up one side and down the other. And because we have gone ourselves and met him, we know that's true. And the indication is from the passage, if you read it. The indication is that she led a lot of people to Christ through her testimony. But she could not do it until she could say, I am an evil person. I'm an evil person. Our time is gone. Um, I know I haven't gone verse by verse over this chapter, but I feel like that presenting it this way will help us understand a little better maybe the bigger picture as God looks down at this world and looked at that poor woman and saved her. I trust that this is the memory that we have as we reflect back over when the Lord revealed himself to us and saved us. Our time is gone. Jim, dismiss us, brother.